From WHQR Public Media in Wilmington, North Carolina, this is Coastline. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn. Christy Ray knew from the time she was a little girl that she would be an actor. Erica Arley knew that cameras and storytelling called her creativity into focus. But as they entered the professional world of film, they were frustrated by the roles available to them. The hot nurse, the waitress, the nagging girlfriend small one-dimensional roles furthering a male-driven plot. Not that there's anything wrong with male-driven plots or male characters, but the mind-numbingly narrow perception of women through the eyes of straight men have essentially controlled Hollywood and its storytelling from the beginning. In the 21st century, women are rising through the ranks and taking more above-the-line jobs, producer, director, cinematographer. But the gender gap is still observable, both in the types of jobs women hold in the industry and the kinds of stories getting made that involve female characters. But back to the heroines of our story. Their paths collided when Erica Arley published a casting call for a short film on Craigslist. Christy Ray answered it, and Erica cast her as the film's lead. That was 2015. Six years later, the two moved the film production company they co-founded, Honeyhead Films, into a building on Castle Street in Wilmington, North Carolina. The filmmakers describe what they do as putting a narrative spin on the creative world. The company is run and staffed by women. And they say they're breaking down barriers not only as female filmmakers, but as full-time working artists in Wilmington, North Carolina. They join me now. Christy Ray, creative producer and co-founder of Honeyhead Films. Welcome to Coastline. Thank you, Rachel. Erica Arlie, media director and co-founder of Honeyhead Films. Welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. It's great to have both of you here. So, So explain to us first... What does telling a story on film through the female point of view, why does that matter? What effect do you think singularly male-driven stories have had on our culture and the humans in it? I think that as women in the industry, we feel a great responsibility to tell stories through the female lens because I remember growing up as a young girl and seeing examples of how women were portrayed physically or their character archetypes in film and not feeling like there was space for me and we always talk about if about young women if she can see it she can dream it if she can dream it she can achieve it and I truly believe that because I felt the deficit growing up and I saw women objectified on screen. And it's something that you become used to and in a pretty negative way. And even as I've graduated into screenwriting and directing more professionally, I find myself checking myself for, for how, I, how I write women and how I write men and realizing that even as a writer, these preconceived notions of how these roles are portrayed on film even permeate when I write. 
So even I have a responsibility as a female writer to make sure that I'm not exacerbating those archetypes that have been decades, decades in the making. You said as a as a kid, you would look at these female characters on screen and feel like there wasn't space for you. Mm-hmm. What do you What do you mean by that? How did you not fit what you saw? As a young adult, as a tween, you watch shows that are set in high schools, but the actors are all in their mid twenties. So even from a body image standpoint, as a young a young sophomore in high school with braces who's still growing into her body. I remember feeling so left behind and wondering why I didn't look like that and why I wasn't, you know, tall and slender. And this was, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s. So there was definitely a body archetype there that was an expectation that I definitely didn't fit into. And so that authenticity that I was lacking as a child is something that Honeyhead is dedicated to creating on-screen authentic characters, age-appropriate characters, <laughs> you know, and, and gender roles that feel more compelling. And authentic authentic um, imagery and marginalized voices to be seen and heard as well, not just from the female lens, but from a diversity standpoint. That's something we're really passionate about exploring and continuing to push, whether it's in the commercial space or the narrative or documentary space as well. And we're going to circle back to how the two of you really got started as as filmmakers. But talk about that a little bit, Christy Ray. Your marginalized voices and diversity. What does that What does that mean? And and who are you now drawing into the fold that perhaps other people haven't thought about before? Absolutely. Um, growing up as as a young actor, and like Erica was speaking earlier about. The types of roles you you watch and the films and the TV shows that that you see, mostly male-driven dramas, comedies, usually a white cast. Back in the 90s, there there really weren't a lot of shows about black culture or Latina culture, and there weren't um, you know people of color or people of different sexual orientations portrayed and represented. Um, if so, they might have been more of a stigma, right? More of a stereotype that was in service of a different kind of plot. And we really are passionate about exploring the human experience from all angles. And it's something that is not that difficult or challenging to do if you just realize the way it's always been done doesn't mean it's the right way. It's about finding collaborators who are on that same page as you. Yeah. And for so many of us, these kind of narrow perspectives are baked in. It's what we grew up with. So sometimes it's hard to even recognize a perspective that maybe is is limiting or is shooting down a kid's idea of what's possible before the kid has even had a chance to dream it up, mm-hmm. Erica. Mm-hmm. The two of you speak to younger folks from time to time. Is that right? Often we lecture at UNCW a fair amount. We've lectured for for a few different classes at the university, and we have collegiate interns who join us every semester. And we've seen the gender gap from from that age. It's part of it's a huge reason why we're starting an all girls summer camp called Shoot Like a Girl. Also, um, middle schoolers, you know, at Glow mm-hmm. Academy or Wilmington Academy of. Um, math and science, we've we've had the opportunity to come in and speak specifically to young women in the sixth and seventh grade. And that's something that 
we love to let them see what what's possible that they too could be writers and directors and producers and actors and have a future that's interesting and inspiring to them and they're excited to learn about that and to see women in leadership positions because when we started our company in 2015 or 16 excuse me women only accounted for 14% of decision makers in the film industry and that number has not risen fast enough. We're at, I think, 21% in 2022. It's a slow So 1% a year? Mm -hmm. 1% a year. (laughs) And we're doing what we can locally. And it isn't that difficult. People always want to talk about the challenge, but it's really just, um, you just do it. You just get out and do it. You know, it's, it's interesting because the two of you kind of grew up with these obstacles presented. And it seems as though you're not only breaking down so-called barriers externally, but part of this is breaking down kind of internal barriers mm-hmm. and archaic ways of, of thinking about being an artist. Let's, let's go back to your growing up so people can kind of get a sense of how you came into this. Christy, there was this pivotal moment that you realized that's what I want to do. I'm going to be an actor. Tell us about that moment. I think every actor has what we call the moment. You know, when you when you see your future and you know this is something that you're born to do, it's really ingrained in you. And my moment came um, at a theater. I went to see a performance of Sound of Music with my grandmother, my late grandma. And I remember sitting in maybe the third row in the theater in New Bern in my small town where I grew up and realizing there was a five-year-old on stage. I was five years old and she was acting. She's playing the role of Greta. And I looked to my grandma and I said, I want to be up there. I want to be doing that. And she turned the program over and they had audition notices for the next show on the back. And she said, we can take you. You can try out. Like You can see if you can do this. And I did every show until I graduated high school. It was it was just in me. And during that um, part of my life, I actually, that was the origin of meeting Erica, really, and starting Honeyhead because I met one of my best friends, Devin, in the first show that I auditioned for. And she she's the spark that lit Honeyhead and, um, you know, came to us with this idea that we should have a female-led production company. This was 25 years later, but... Um, all of that ripple effect, it happens somewhere down the line, you know, and this has been my dream for years. I never thought I would be on the other side of the camera when I was five years old, when I was 18 and moved to Los Angeles and was pursuing a career in, in just acting in front of the camera or training in Lee Strasberg and in Manhattan. I didn't imagine myself in a producerial role. It wasn't until I moved here connected with Devin and Erica and we decided that we needed to root down and make change because we'd each explored these different areas of production and realized there was a deficit and there was a disinterest in the the kinds of roles that we were being offered and the way that productions were run. So we put our heads together and and created this company and um, it, it feels serendipitous the way that it's all worked out. I know we talked a bit about the Craigslist and the origin, but it's it's um, an amazing journey and something that happened very organically. You're listening to Coastline. Erica Arley and Christy Ray are the co-founders of Honeyhead Films, and they are with us today. When we come back from this short break, we'll find out 
how they get their ideas for screenplays. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn for Coastline. Listening to Coastline, I'm Rachel Lewis Hilburn. Christy Ray and Erica Arley started working together as filmmakers in 2015, and by 2021, Honeyhead Films was a brick and mortar local production company. They're now working on their first feature length film, A Song for Imogene. Erica, I want to go back to your origin story as an artist. You were always creative as a kid. You knew you liked cameras and Mm -hmm. storytelling. And so you majored in theater at the University of North Carolina at Mm -hmm. Chapel Hill and built in a safety net. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. I was a performer from a very young age and always knew that's what I liked to do. I was performing and writing from the time I can remember doing so. And even even to the point where I wanted to create my own films. So I would beg my parents to be able to hold our ancient dinosaur direct-to-VHS camcorder. And I would go around and cast my sisters in horror films, you know, <laughs> where our stuffed animals were, you know, coming to get everyone. And I would shoot them. And my form of editing was just pausing the recording and then then pressing record again. So when we watched them back, the scenes were, you know, cut together by blue fuzzy VHS, you know, um, (laughs) blank frames. And so I've always been doing that. And I've always been a story writer. And when I got to college, I wanted to go to conservatory for acting. And my parents convinced me to get a four year degree just in case it, things didn't work out and they wanted me to be hireable and, um, like you said, have that financial safety net. So I majored in theater at UNC Chapel Hill with a English and creative writing. Well, I was an English double major, drama double major, and a creative writing minor. And those are practical. <laughs> those are more <laughs> practical than theater. Um, the, I think if creative writing had been a major, that would be the major for sure. Um, and... After school, I realized that I didn't want to be in in theater professionally. My goal was to open my own brick-and-mortar theater, but I didn't want to live in New York, and I wasn't ready to go to Chicago or Los Angeles. And I found out there was a film community down in Wilmington as well as a community theater scene here. And so I moved down here and quickly realized that I wanted to transition into film because I was also still acting at the time and I got an agent I was taking acting classes and that's actually partially how I met Christy we we floated around and without really meeting ever because we were we had the same agent at the time and we were in similar acting classes as well so that it's funny because the the four-year degree I think I've 
I'm trying to think of how I've used it. I think I speak well in public, maybe from the theater degree. You know, I think I have a business sense of how to turn creativity into to business in a way. Um, but I think I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah, and so I want to talk a little bit about the work that the two of you have been doing as Honeyhead Films. You've you've made a number of short films. A Song for Imogene is your first feature-length film, which is very exciting. A Song for Imogene, the idea for that came from a short film that you wrote and produced. Tell us a little bit about The Seed, Lorelei. Mm-hmm. I love talking about this short. It After Christy and I met and we had worked on the first short film um, that I wrote and directed ever in my whole life and Christy played the lead in. We were auditioning each other, putting ourselves on tape, which in the industry basically means you get an audition from your agent and then you film it at home or in a studio and you send it to the casting director. So it's a really common way for actors to audition for roles in television and film. And we would read for each other. So one person would be auditioning, the other would be off camera. And we were doing this so often that we started to realize a trend in the types of roles we were being offered. They were pretty one-dimensional one-liners or meant to be exploitative of ourselves as women, as young women, hot girl at the party, you know, who maybe falls in the pool and her shirt's wet and we see her bra or something like that and we just were pretty disillusioned by the whole process after a while and we really wanted to play on screen together so we decided it was time to create roles for ourselves and we wanted them to be gritty and we wanted them to be southern and we what wanted is, what does gritty mean Ooh. Yeah. This was a time I I remember vividly Winter's Bone had just come out and you know been at the Oscars and um Another Earth had just won Grand Jury at Sundance and all of these women that were were paving a way for themselves or for other young women to play these really interesting dynamic characters, real real people, real life people. Women without perfect teeth and perfect bodies, you know, girls who maybe didn't wash their hair but had to take care of their family in a lower income situation or live out in a mountain somewhere or in a town you've never heard of. Those kinds of people, those gritty real characters, that authenticity was so attractive to us. We could feel it in our in our veins, but we weren't reading it in any of these casting calls. Mm -hmm. Everything felt very Hollywood. It felt very polished and um, we felt like we were being pegged up against you know, actors that could could play those parts, but we had something just deeper within us that we wanted to express. And after talking it over with Erica, she just took it upon herself to write this screenplay. And draft one was the draft. We never changed Mm -hmm. it. And so in this clip that we're about to hear, I, I want people to kind of listen for all the different sounds that are available in the beginning of this clip. It's, I mean, in audio, especially in NPR stories, you'll you'll hear um, so much ambient sound, and the, the sound is part of what tells the story, not just the reporter or the people, the reporters interviewing. And that was really striking for me when I uh, looked at Lorelei. So let's listen. 
here. Shit, Carl, it ain't even 11. Your tire needs air. It's not like against the rules, you know, when you're... Do you even know how to put air in your tire? God, the Sunoco does it for free. For you. When you dress like that, he does it for free. For you. I bet if you quit being so hung up on Jim, Gary would do it for you. For free. Okay, that, that was the two of you playing sisters in a scene. You're standing in front of kind of a ramshackle house mm -hmm. in rural North Carolina. Tell us about this. What are we watching here? Well, first of all, we're watching something that has been pulled out of the vault for for this purpose. And it's kind of funny to listen. It's funny to me to hear. It, to hear all the audio transitions. And I know our audience can't hear this, but now that I'm listening to it in headphones, you can hear that the way it was recorded on the day, it's like my dialogue is in the left channel right. and Christy's dialogue is in the right channel and all these things that we didn't understand at the time that we were making this. It's very fun to go back and listen to how far we've come with our technical understanding. Of so I want to talk about that because uh, there was something else th that you said to me in an email was a little cringy for you in terms of production values. And I think that's such an important lesson for mm -hmm. artists to be willing to learn and you're self-taught. And so every incarnation of a project is going to get better and better and better because you're honing your craft. But it's so important to be willing to start somewhere. Yes, yeah. yes. This and, is what and, we say to students. You know, you're going to look back on your work that you're so proud of today. And at some point, you'll want to hide it and bury it. And that is progress. And you should be proud of it. So I'm proud to listen to it now, knowing we're stepping into production soon on the feature-length version of this, and we have a team of 25 helping us make this mm -hmm. this feature-length version happen. And that movie was shot with maybe four four people, including us, on set. Well, oh, that's amazing. You know, wow. I, I think we just had a, a Zoom H recorder sitting behind me in my coverage, and that's why it sounds that way. But when you're <laughs> when you have no money and you're trying to learn and you're trying to tell a story. You do what you got to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's uh, exactly what you just heard. And it's led to so much. Yes. I'm so thankful that we did it. Yeah. And it's also interesting. I mean, put the production values aside for a second. I In the studio, I watched the two of you kind of looking at each other and going, oh, my God. <laughs> but, but the fact that you were telling a story with the sound of the train mm -hmm. and the bugs and the beer can opening. I mean, that is a real kind of sensitivity mm -hmm. to storytelling in this medium that maybe not everybody comes into it with. But you're setting the scene and giving us so much information just with those sounds. And I will say some of the sounds are, are foley in this. Um, I edited this short film on my little map macbook air in our shared home where we lived together for a while christy and i and um there are a lot of audio effects and sound design effects that were amplified based on what was in the audio and then added to after the fact to create that i'm obsessed with the sound of cicadas it feels so southern to me mm -hmm. in this way that i remember stepping outside my house in the summer as a kid and hearing all of this or going to my mother's childhood home and 
Little Washington, North Carolina, which is a big inspiration for this this film and imaging are the trips we made out there and the people living off these back road, you know, tea stop towns. And so adding that, adding that element, adding a dog bark or a truck, a semi going by and things that you would hear out here in these places, but you're just left there on this porch. So let's go back to the story of this. The two of you play sisters. Um, you're are you living in poverty mm-hmm. at this point? Tell mm-hmm. us tell us about the story. Mm-hmm. Lorelai in particular is written about two sisters reuniting after the death of their mother and deciding what to do with the family estate, which is, you know, kind of a dilapidated home, overgrown, probably not worth much. One wants to sell and the other wants to root down and start a new life together. One is pregnant. The other is upset about it. Um, and she miscarries and she loses her baby um, and admits that to her sister. So it's it's a slice of life that Erica wrote. It's seven pages and all of that happens within seven minutes on, on screen. And how did that go from a short film to this feature length song for Imogene? We toured this film in regional film festival circulation for about two years and Every time, regardless of the, you know, the quality of sound or the coloring and things that we, we were still learning as budding filmmakers, all, all the audiences connected with these characters. And they would approach us after screenings and say in the Q&A sessions, you know, what's next? Will you turn this into a feature? Is this a proof of concept? We haven't seen characters like this portrayed in indie film. What will you do? Where does this story go? Where does it begin? And Erica can speak a little bit to the origin of the feature in that sense, but it always felt like the story waiting to be told. Yeah, this this film came again from audience demand, and it was going to be a tough story to tell. So as a writer, I avoided it a little bit um, at first, but really had the chance to sit down and think about this as a full-length screenplay after COVID hit in the beginning of 2020, because a lot of our other work for Honeyhead, our commercial and client work, came to a screeching halt. Mm-hmm. And I was able to take a whole, an entire week of my life to finish the very first rough draft of the screenplay. And until then, it had been sitting around 20 pages. I had just been picking away at it slowly but surely and gave myself a huge chunk of time to just go ahead and finish it. Well, let's listen. Uh, This is just a short part of the trailer for a song for Imogene. Cheyenne, I know you see me calling you. I know you've seen Alex show up on the ID. What are you doing? How do you think this is going to end, huh? You belong to me. Baby, we're out of condoms. You can't keep running forever, baby. Hey, I need a ride. 
And so we heard Christy Ray as the female voice, and Hayden Winston is playing the person you've been in a relationship mm-hmm. with who's gotten you pregnant and you're leaving him. Tell us about that relationship. Why are you leaving him and why is he so uh, calmly menacing in this trailer? Mm. Something that we always talk about is how the character, her, her name has been changed from Carla to Cheyenne. So just for clarity there, her name is Cheyenne in the feature film. She, like many women, is stuck in a cage with the door wide open and has been living in this cyclical relationship, um, a codependency, an emotional burden, um, a financial, a, a relationship with financial control, and elements of domestic abuse, but not violence. And it was important for us to draw the line in the sand to make sure that this all of the subtleties that we've experienced in personal relationships and we know so many other women understand and know these complexities of what does an abusive household look like. It's not always the black eye. It's not always um, a scary man. It could be a very charming man. Um, To be able to put these stories on screen to let other people know that they're not alone and that they too can find strength to leave and walk away from situations that maybe aren't so black and white. Erica, you mentioned how the script was languishing around page 20 for a long time until COVID, the lockdown, and you Mm -hmm. sat down and finished it in a week. But you had also said to me that the two of you together had had a lot of ideas for stories, and then you would always get kind of stymied Mm -hmm. at page 60. What's the significance of page 60 in a film script? That's a really great question. I think it is the difference between having characters you care about. I think that has been what it has been for me, at least, is, well, having characters you care about and then pushing yourself as a writer through the difficult parts of the screenplay, through the parts that are going to be uncomfortable for your characters and therefore for you as a writer, at least for me, that's how I write, is I have to heavily research all of my characters and know their backstory so that when they come to the table in the scene, I'm speaking for all of them and speaking for all of them with the best intentions for them. And that's where conflict arises. So that has been something I've had to explore as a writer. And um, it's something that has allowed me to drive past those those road bumps and be able to complete imaging was knowing that these characters had something important to say and they were important for other people to see on screen. You're listening to Coastline. The Honeyheads, filmmakers Erica Arley and Christy Ray are my guests today. We'll take a short break and be right back. Stay with us. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn for Coastline.
You're listening to Coastline. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn. Christy Ray and Erica Arley met in 2015 when Erica published a casting call for a short film on Craigslist. Christy answered it, and Erica cast her as the film's lead. Six years later, the two moved the filmmaking company they co-founded, Honeyhead Films, into a building on Castle Street in Wilmington, North Carolina. The way the two of you work together is really interesting. It sounds like there's a pretty free flow of ideas back and forth. Erica, you're the writer, but Christy, you consistently toss ideas Erica's way. I feel that I'm often the spark that will light an idea that she will set on fire and just produce. She has this amazing way of taking a scenario that might pop into my mind. I'll punt it to her and then she just writes a screenplay that's ready to go. And it it's a very fluid, it, it, for the short versions, it's a very fluid process. I'd say imaging is something we've been working on together for several years at this point. It's a lot of back and forth, but it's wonderful to have that same energy with the feature length production as well. And you did that with something called Mr. Dragon. This is a short film that you produced. And it stars who? Ross Helton and Hannah Black, two local actors here in Wilmington, extremely talented, subtle character actors. Um, We had the pleasure of shooting that just within one day at a laundromat, the Carolina Coin Laundry off Kerr Avenue. And um, it came about from just an idea driving past the laundromat, you know, um, constantly location scouting. When you're driving around Wilmington, there's so many interesting Mm -hmm. buildings and interesting people. And as an artist, you're always aware of the human experience. You're always thinking, that could be a story. I wonder what that person's day is like. What are they going through? And something triggered an idea in my head one afternoon. It was several summers ago, and I I texted or called Erica and said, what if there was a breakup? You know, a highly personal situation that a couple had to go through in a public space, because we're all often stuck having intimate conversations when we don't want to be having them. Maybe it's on a subway. Maybe it's in a laundromat. I said, chew on that. (laughs) And she spit out this two-and-a-half-page short film that we produced in a day, and Mm -hmm. it it went through festival circulation. It's something that was a wonderful collaboration, a, a very exciting thing to everyone wants to work on a narrative film so when you can do something turnkey in 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 a six or seven hour day it's it's just productive for the creative mind well let's listen to this very tiny sliver of it mr dragon it's still got three minutes it's dry we paid for the time let it run. What? You can't keep doing this. Yeah. You said that already. <laughs> Why are we here? What about Noah? And that, of course, the the noise in the background really the foreground that we're hearing Mm -hmm. is the dryer. It's Mm -hmm. the laundromat. And these two, he seems 
uh, dominating to the point of being abusive. And of course, people can't see what's happening just, just hearing this. And it also, to be fair, was edited for brevity so that we wouldn't be listening to extra. So some of those cuts uh, didn't, we can really hear them with, with headphones on mm-hmm. it. And that is not the honeyhead work. That is um, RLH work. So talk to us just about that relationship. And once again, that dynamic of a woman who might be in an abusive relationship. Something I love as a writer and a director and a filmmaker in general are subtextual moments. The conversations we have without saying anything to each other. And this script was a huge exploration of that for me. How how little can people say verbally while communicating the world to each other through a gesture or a look? And that's what this film really explores is is that. And how do we communicate to the audience that things aren't great at home, maybe this argument would look and feel different if the partner was not constrained by the public environment. So you see him straining against that as an actor and a performer, and you see her not quite empowered by it, but maybe so. Maybe she is feeling safe for once in in this public place doing this laundry. And so all of that comes across in the film, and I find that to be just completely fascinating, what actors can do through nonverbal communication and signaling. And the editing process. We worked with an editor, Zach Davenport, on this. Um, he actually edited the Proof of Concept trailer for A Song for Imogene as well, and it was very explorative. And I don't think Zach will mind me saying that he missed a lot of those subtleties on the first pass. When I when I sat in with him in the editing suite to watch, it felt rushed. It felt like it, a lot was missing from what Erica wrote and what I was able to direct on the day. And it was really lovely to find those beats and those moments. And he's expressed to us how happy he is to collaborate on that and why it's so fun to sit in with the director on the editing process because... As a male editor, he missed all all of the subtleties that Erica's talking about. This is so interesting because there are just long shots of Hannah's face. Mm-hmm. And there's so much happening under the surface. Mm-hmm. It, it, it really is sort of amazing. And I can see how someone who's like, okay, well, let's get to the next action in the scene. Where's the action in the scene? You used the film Nomadland Mm -hmm. when we first spoke back in November. That's a film that stars Frances McDormand. That film made a big impression on the two of you. And it's 2020 drama that uh, has her as a widow traveling around the United States in her van as a nomad. And a number of real-life so-called nomads, I guess, appear as fictionalized versions of themselves. Uh, but let's let's just listen to part of a scene and then talk about why this meant so much to you. Mm-hmm. You are one of those lucky people that is from the United States. Of the U.S. of A. Yes. Yes, I and am. And you can travel anywhere. Yes, ma'am, I know. And they sometimes call you nomads or yeah. people who don't have a home. I see that you have this ring. Mm-hmm. Are you married? 
I am, but my husband died. And so, I'm not gonna take that off. That ring is a circle mm -hmm. and it never ends. And that means that your love never ends. And you may not be able to take it off if you tried. Don't think it could. No. Mm. From the film Nomadland, starring Frances McDormand, what is it about that film, Erica Arley, that captured your imagination so deeply? When I saw this film, I wanted to cry. I was so excited and grateful that a film directed by a woman starring a woman was receiving attention on a national platform and watching Frances on screen just being a woman of her age taking up space a lot of times we just sat and watched her we watched her be we watched her just go about her day existing as a woman not in a man's role not as a superhero or not as this tough CEO type that needs to be broken down and softened by a man to be more feminine or to be more fitting into a female archetype, but just a woman in her own right, flawed, and going through her own struggle and dealing with loss and happiness and redefining herself out in the American West, which I have a total romantic relationship with the American West in general, so the landscape is beautiful. But the fact that it was shot in natural light for the most part or completely and just the way the story is told was so inspiring to me as a filmmaker. I love Chloe Zhao's vision for the film, and it was just beautiful. You talk about women taking up space mm. on film. What does that mean? Are they not normally allowed to take up space? I think women often fill in these archetypes. You know, you, I think of shows like Breaking Bad and Skylar, the wife's role in that show, and I loved that show for the first few seasons and I had to stop watching it because I was so unfortunately infuriated by the way that her role had been turned into an archetype and the way that she was the she was antagonizing all the situations in a way that was driving the male a plot and that was what the show was for so there's no you know hard feelings there I think the show was groundbreaking in its own right but I felt disheartened by watching her character just digress into this archetype, whereas I thought maybe she would be more dynamic. And so being able to see a woman just be on screen and she's not a, be with another male character. She's enough. Mm -hmm. as she's herself. enough as herself. She's not putting on. Frances is not, and her character is not for anyone. She's exploring life at a, an age where we don't normally see female protagonists. If we see male protagonists in that age bracket, they're usually accompanied by a younger, much younger lady by their side or out saving the world or doing something. She didn't have to save the world. She just had to be in her world, just like everyone else who's watching this movie. So it was really a reality check that you are okay where you are. And if you're exploring life as a nomad, that is where you are today. If you work in a grocery store, 
You don't need to have some Hollywood-driven plot to feel important. I love films that can just explore the experience and empower you to know that there are other people out there like you. Mm. The two of you talked about an interview that Frances McDormand did with the New York Times after making that film. And the reporter, Kyle Buchanan, observes this. He writes... McDormand special <laughs> sorry I have to read this with a straight face. McDormand specializes in playing women with world views. You can tell right away what they like and don't like, who they would be friendly with and who they can't stand. I read that and I thought that's extraordinary for a female character to have a world view or to have preferences or for people to understand what those preferences might be by watching her for a while. And then I thought, yeah, that is extraordinary. How sad. Mm -hmm. We don't often encourage audiences to invest in female characters in this way and and explore them. They're often there secondary or servicing a, a male plot or taking on male characteristics, being a superhero and these types of things. So just to ask an audience to invest in a woman's life in this way, I think is really fascinating. And it gives me a lot of hope that people were willing to do that. So what's the difference between writing a role for a strong woman versus just casting a woman in a man's role? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's it's it's like what you're talking about with with the superhero action movies. That's that's um, not exploring femininity itself. It is it is checking a box and saying we have a female heroine, you know, and she's out acting like a man, and we should care for her instead of realizing that women are half of the population and our perspective and the way that we see the world and the way that we actually exist when people aren't watching us that that perspective is important as well. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's probably some trepidation from studio decision makers to believe that people would be interested in a female story. They're, you know, that chick flicks are for women and that's the category that as female consumers and female filmmakers that we could get squashed into is so narrow-minded, in my opinion. I think that's something we've really enjoyed discovering by producing a song for Imogene is how much, yes, women, of course, identify with this film, but men identify with the story equally. You know, we've had a lot of feedback from male audience members across the country who are excited about this character. They identify with the themes because Cheyenne is just a character going through something that is a universal experience for so many people. It's not about the fact that she is a woman. We're excited she's a woman and that she's a protagonist taking up space on screen, but her story is so nuanced and authentic that it's driving audiences from both sides of the gender spectrum. So we have just about a minute left. Uh, what's the honey in mm-hmm. Honeyhead Films? It's this sweetness that we carry with us. Our branding is deeply ingrained in what we do. And I know this entire wonderful segment we've been talking about female empowerment, that's definitely the honey, but it's also leading with positivity, um, radical positivity in a, in a fairly toxic industry. So changing that standard is something that we do along with bolstering marginalized voices in cinema. Radical positivity. 
How do you do that in practice? What does that mean? When one of the reasons that Christy and I started Honeyhead was because we saw that set the atmosphere on set was often very s- stressful and oppressive. There's this energy of we're always behind or we're late or there's something going wrong. And you have to remember that there was a time when we all just wanted to be on set making movies. And that's the energy and that we try to bring to our sets is just a positivity and appreciation for where we are today. And everyone that works with us and the team it takes to assemble a creative project. And that is this edition of Coastline. What a pleasure it's been to have both of you with us. Erica Arley, Christy Ray of Honeyhead Films. Thank you. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you. Coastline's technical director is Ken Campbell. Jonathan Furnell engineered this episode. Coastline is a production of WHQR Public Media. You can find the episode at whqr.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Rachel Lewis-Hilburn for Coastline. Thank you.